Welcome to the Curiosity Key Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Wyman, and I'm a B2B marketing strategist, LinkedIn specialist, and curious thinking advocate. I believe that curiosity is one of our biggest assets. If you want your marketing to be more effective and feel less like a chore, then be more curious about who you're targeting, how you can help them, and what you can learn from them. This podcast aims to share stories from people who are keen to solve problems and change the way we do things by innovating and turning their ideas into reality. This week's episode is with the wonderful Claire Stead, an e-learning specialist and pioneer of early childhood education. Claire has a very interesting story to tell, and she shares her journey around how she turned scientific research into an app that she now sells to new parents to help them educate their children via the power of play and promoting curiosity. We talk about lots of things, including using partnerships and affiliates to get her app in front of a wider audience, why education is so important in those first 1,000 days of life, and also lots of learning that came out of turning her idea into reality and producing an app that's now being sold as a product. I really hope that you enjoy this interview with Claire as much as I did and can take away lots of inspiration and ideas that you can use in your own business, your own sales and marketing. If you're listening on the go, don't panic because I've summarized the key points from this interview that are now available on the show notes on my website. Just head to charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Key podcast. I'm joined with Claire Stead. Claire, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Charlie, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's really exciting to be here. Brilliant. So as you may have guessed, if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, or if you're new, um, that I am all about education. And I believe that um, through technology, we really are going to be able to change the world. And Claire has a very interesting story and an interesting product of how she's using technology to achieve that. So Claire, do you want to just start off by telling us a little bit um, about you and also about Aliki? So um, I am a mum of three, a teacher, an education researcher, an e-learning specialist and an app developer. Um, I think that's the list. And I have developed an app for parents in the first thousand days of life. So that's from conception right the way through to the time the baby is two to help the babies um, build their brain, a strong brain, but um, help parents find the learning in everyday play and build their parental confidence in the process of playing love it and uh, I think I, I can't even remember how we got talking I think was it before I had my baby or after I had my baby I think he might have been four five days old like tiny tiny fortuitous <laughs> and how we actually started talking was a friend of mine said oh have you heard of Charlie Wyman so I looked you up we started chatting and then it turns out that you've just had a baby. So it was all like, wowie, wowie, all there we are. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I love it. Because, you know, you, you touched on a really important point about learning and experience and it really being, you know, a key part of helping us grow and helping us develop. Uh, so why is it so important to get that learning and that experiential learning right from the very early days? Well, the brain science um, is it's it's been out for a while be, be, clever people who do brain science um have known about the brain science for a very long well a long while sort of 
2000, there was a big push to sort of bring out the information um, and quite a lot was published. And in that in that publication uh, by Jack Shinkoff and um, C.A. Nelson, I don't unfortunately know Mr. Nelson's first name, uh, they produced a graph and this graph is the shows the learning in the first thousand days of life. And it is absolutely bonkers. So if we have a graph like this, I'm probably doing it backwards now, but basically from conception, you, you, you come along and then you get this amazing bulge up the top here and then it comes down and it goes flatlining down here from about five. So you have this amazing, what they call a window of opportunity of learning that happens in those first thousand days of life where our babies are actually primed to be learning machines. And what we, they learn through experience and the experiences that we provide them. So by enabling um, them to have fabulous, rich um experiences we are actually laying the foundation for every single bit of learning that goes on and when our babies are born um they have 20 i think it's 25 percent of their brain capacity but by the time they're three they have 90 percent and so in that we can see during that window of opportunity you've just got this prime moment when we can just lay those foundations for life and so by helping parents who after all are not qualified don't necessarily have any experience of babies until, except when they were a baby, or their nieces and nephews that they happen to have jiggled up and down a little bit, but not done much with. Um, if we can help them really understand the learning that happens, not the ABCs, I'm really not talking about that, I'm talking about how play is providing those experiences. And um, if we help parents understand those experiences as they go along, they develop the, their child's um, skills, knowledge and understanding so that when they get to school, they've really got a great baseline for starting. So it's not about getting your baby to go shooting off and, and understanding the hundredness of a hundred. It's actually having a very rich understanding of the threeness of three and getting that real strong base um, core, that foundation really laid strongly because it, it impacts those first thousand days of life impact your education outcomes, your academic outcomes, your wealth, your health, your social outcomes, in fact, your whole life. So it's fundamental that we do as much as we possibly can to make that first period really rich. And also, you're building a relationship that lasts a lifetime. So best you make it a great relationship because then it's a happy, a happy outcome, isn't it, for everybody? Exactly. And I think it's really bonkers in one way that, you know, experience is so important. And, you know, every single child learns, like you said, through experiencing different things around them by watching, being really, really curious. Yeah, you know, in certain school environments, I know that my school environment did not promote curiosity in any sense of the word, you know, constantly being told like, oh, you know, Charlie's just that annoying kid that keeps asking questions. And it's all very suppressed. And then you get into the workplace and a lot of training is delivered, you know, kind of sort of sit in a classroom and just be talked at. You know, a lot of the training that I do, I try to embed as much experience as possible because that's how you learn you know like I am not a trained marketer yet somehow I've ended up in this like a wonderful career of uh, you know marketing for the companies and then teaching people marketing and it's just through you know getting hands-on you know sort of experiencing it and and playing in one way being allowed to play and having the freedom to play I think play is the root of all learning and I think I, I went to a really interesting conference um 
at the Pedal Institute in Cambridge, which is this, uh, the Institute for uh, research into play and honestly it's fabulous it's got fab stuff you you have these amazingly moving and deep um, intellectual papers that are being delivered and everybody's sort of you know very serious and then because they have partnered with the lego foundation they also have playful interludes and I mean honestly who, who who doesn't want to play in this environment who doesn't want to go to work in that kind of environment and so they had at this particular conference the first one they held um they had um one of these playful inter interludes and on each uh chair was put a little packet of six pieces of lego I'm doing a nice lego advert here um <laughs> anyway <laughs> Um, but they do really want to play, to take place, and they're really backing that. Um, anyway, they, we have these six little pieces of Lego, and the first activity was to make a duck. And the second activity was to turn to your partner and turn that one duck into, no, two ducks into one duck. Um, but what happened, it was really interesting to watch this academic, uh, very erudite room explode into communication, creativity, um, comparison. They were, we were comparing and contrasting, we were questioning, we were investigating, and suddenly all this learning was taking place, all this communicating was taking place through six Lego blocks. Now, if we then extrapolate that out into all learning that takes place, and I'm talking workplace learning as well as child-based learning, how much more would we achieve in a day if we made our working environment playful? If we made our school environment playful and we expected our children to be allowed to investigate, inquire and be inquisitive and that failure was only seen as the beginning of success. And so, I mean, if you get me on to schools, well, then, then you've got me on pet, my pet thing already. <laughs> I think it should be playful. I think it should be learning through play that we prize more than anything else. Because at those places, that's the edge of innovation and creativity. And, and our children are the most creative and um, innovative beings until we stop that and make them academic focused written handwriting underlined dates you know we stop them learning almost well we certainly stop them being creative by forcing them to go down our school route and what I'm trying to do is help parents start the journey creatively and if, if parents start the journey creatively and through play and, and really get the importance of play, maybe what they'll do is knock on the door of schools and say, this isn't okay. And yeah, that we can- That would be amazing. Yeah, because until we have that revolution, and maybe that revolution is gonna come with our babies and our parents. And if we have a revolution, we can change our outcomes. And we are in the 21st century where we have no idea what new jobs are coming or what new skills are needed. So how can we educate our children in a way that was created way back in the time gone by to suit something, an environment that was then, how can we do that now and expect really good outcomes? 
just got to promote curiosity. I, I firmly believe it's all about curiosity. I mean, you know, we've spoken at, at length before and I talk a lot about LinkedIn. You know, I, I didn't go on any formal training program on how to use LinkedIn. It is just a tool. But by playing with it, experimenting, trying new things, um, just getting involved, you know, yeah. I've, I've now found myself where people see me as an expert. I hate that word, but like a specialist in that platform. And it's like, you know, you, you can, you've just got to allow yourself the time. But time is one of those precious commodities that, you know, when you're, you're, work now you know you don't always have um and you know I've been very fortunate in my life and my career you know my parents were my advocates at school they were kind of you know what are you talking about she can't ask too many questions like let her ask questions and answer them you're the teacher um and then uh, you know in my working life I've had you know mentors and bosses that have encouraged curiosity um and you know it's allowed me to do what I've, I've been able to do so yes I couldn't agree with you more but you're talking about Lego. Um, if uh, anybody's listening now that wants to learn a little bit more about Lego, one of my earlier podcast guests, uh, Rebecca Godfrey, she um, is a Lego serious play trainer. Oh. And she goes into, uh, you know, sort of uh, corporates and very highly regulated industries and helps them use Lego as a tool for creativity and leadership. So definitely worth checking out that episode. So I'm really keen to talk to you, Claire, about... Um, you know, you're obviously very, very passionate about what you do. And, you know, you're on a, on a mission to change the world and change the way that people see this. So what prompted you to think, right, I'm going to develop my own app and bring that to market? What was that kind of... <laughs> if I'd know, known. Um, <laughs> how did that happen? Tell me about it. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm a teacher by training. I'm one of those people that played schools at the age of five. I knew at five I wanted to be a teacher. Um, but then education and I fell out. Uh, around about teens, GCSE level, it all went a little bit wrong. Um, and I discovered what failing in education was like, and it's rubbish. Um, I then took O-levels, because I'm that old, from 14 to 19 every year, twice a year. And I got my 12, but I got every one of them on a different certificate. And it was through sheer darn hard work and tenacity that I got there. I did my A-levels. And then it was, well, what are you going to do? And it was, well, I want to be a teacher. And they genuinely laughed at me. Um, so I went to the universities and they said, why should we take you? And they, I said, well, I wouldn't if I were you. But if you do... I'm going to be a good teacher because I know what failure's like. And they did. They all took me, which was very nice of them. Um, and off I went and I trained to be a teacher. And I trained from three to eight. Um, and I, I just loved it. And I, fa I found my space. And all this challenge of education just melted away. And I found my voice and off I went. Um, and I went through university and came out the other end. Um, and went back to school, obviously, because I was now a teacher. And uh, I loved, I just loved having a class of children. And I worked around the world. Um, but I always worked in those schools that most people don't really want to work in. The more challenging environments. Um, and I, I love that kind of environment. But the child for me that has always been a curiosity, a fascination, is the child that should be accessing the learning but just isn't and there's no special needs there's not a problem they're just they're just not able to access the learning or they don't want to or their behavior is not great or there's something getting in their way 
that's stopping them soar and fly. And so those were always my area of interest. Um, I've always said I know nothing about anything, but I know a lot about learning. And if I can help you find your passion for learning and your passion ignite your passion then I've just I've helped you do what you need to do um, and that was my job as far as I was concerned um, and then I decided to have baby had a baby and in those days that meant if you wanted to go back part-time to teaching you were the special needs teacher which is fine and loads of people are really good at it but it just isn't my bag and it was for, for me on day three when I found myself in a corridor doing year five disaffected boys um, persuasive writing using a worksheet that had been given to me by their teacher. I hate worksheets. Um, and at the top of the corridor, there was reception doing bikes and trikes down a ramp towards us. That was it. And it was like, no, I can't do this anymore. That was day three. So then I went round to my then county advisor who was now doing something different but I didn't know quite what it was but it and said to her do you need do you have a job she said yeah actually I do um and I was on Monday I was on a convent um and I was now an education researcher and I was working with the top five percent of schools in England and Wales looking at best practice and trying to roll that best practice out across all the schools in the count in the country and trying initially we were trying to impact um the, the the top the top group of kids because at the time gifted and talented was where it was all at but actually what was really interesting was the kids that we really were impacting was those disaffected children those ones because what we were doing was changing how learning was happening we were making it much more experiential learning much more about what are you passionate in about let's let's help you let's make the teacher a mentor and help you become that person that you want to be and find out about what you want um, and so I was doing that and then my, and I absolutely loved it. I genuinely loved it. And I started then working on, well, something that didn't have a name, but it was, it's then got called e-learning and I was making e-learning content for governments and businesses around the world. And then my husband announced, you know, as you do on a Tuesday that we were moving to Zambia. And um, so off we went and I carried on working um, at the research centre. Center. Um, and I came over from Zambia to run an international conference. Um, and on the way back, there was this man in the airport and he looked quite geeky and he had this thing and I didn't know what this thing was. So because we were British, obviously, we, we ended up after being moved around the plane for various reasons, we ended up sitting next to each other. And because we're British, we obviously sat next to each other for eight hours and didn't say a thing. And then <laughs> in the ninth hour, um, I finally, curiosity killed the cat, and I finally said to him, what is that? And he said, oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, it's an e-reader. This shows how old we are. Uh, which, it, for those of you who are not as old as me, that's called a Kindle. And he, it had just come out of America and he was seriously excited because it was his new toy. And he absolutely was a geeky techie person. And um, it turns out he had the biggest uh, internet service provider in Zambia at the time. And he was looking to change the way education took place in Africa. So he told me what he was going to do. And I clearly should not play poker um, because... <laughs> I clearly showed that what I thought he was going to do wasn't going to work. And he said to me, what would you do? So I told him, he said, come and do it. 
and he gave me a huge whack of money and you know for the next 10 years i put the whole of primary education with my with a team onto a tablet for African kids to get international standard education in nine languages voiced and translated. So that was 5,000 pieces of interactive learning content for the kids and 12,000 lesson plans. But during that time, I kept seeing it. Those kids, those kids that couldn't access the learning and it didn't make any sense. And then I saw the graph, C.A. Um, Nelson's graph out of Harvard, Center on the Developing Child, of that learning in the first thousand days and it was like a light bulb it was like somebody put the lights on and i realized that if we didn't do something to help parents really understand how important they are and quite the impact that they can make on their child's life outcomes and i'm talking all parents i'm not talking those parents who are sort of less involved i'm talking all parents um and if, if we could do something to help them really understand the learning in the play that their baby was getting, so that if, for example, when you give your baby a rattle, you let the baby hold the rattle and they shake it, look, it's the same as a pencil grip. So they're developing the muscles from being a baby holding a rattle that they're gonna later need to hold their pencil. And if you go out for a walk with a toddler and you're looking and you pick up a berry, and you really examine that berry deeply together and you really look closely, you're developing the focus and concentration that's, and, and um, the discrimination skills that are later going to be needed to see the difference between B and D. And it's understanding that, and if you go as a parent now on a walk as a toddler, you take time and you give them time because you understand that it's not just about filling time and wasting time, it's actually about these amazing learning opportunities that your baby is getting and you are giving to your child, what a gift. So that's kind of where I came from and why I created the app. What a fascinating story and it's quite nice because we've spoken before and you've touched on a few of those points but not quite in as much detail so it's really interesting to hear hear that whole journey and I think for for everybody listening here is that you know sometimes that that curious journey as I like to call it you know can take time it can lead you in places that you don't necessarily think and I think it's okay to not follow a specific path you know your destination may not be known to you just yet or you know you may find that you have to go and explore a few different things before you get to your destination and that's okay and I think you know it's um it's really a fascinating way of, of sharing. That's why I love sharing people's stories because it really helps. There's no way my journey could have happened and I, there's no way I could have got to where I've got to without every single part of the jigsaw being there. And I think that's something for everybody to realise that, that every bit of your journey, even if it feels like you went down a rabbit hole and came back out again, it's given you something that's going to help build your next steps, yeah. make you you and make your experience unique. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, my mum's always been saying, she's like, oh, um, I wish you'd have finished university because I went to university. I studied engineering. Um, I didn't finish my degree. You know, I, I passed my end of year exams, but I decided that that I did not learn very well in an institutional environment. I didn't learn well at school. I didn't well learn well at university. And yeah, I definitely learn better through experiencing things. I always have done. And I think it was only recently that I was like, you know what, that's okay. And 
a big pivotal point for me, I did a, a rowing coaching qualification years ago and I was a terrible manager, like really, really bad. I was like, what? You don't go from, you don't just go from A to Z in each of the steps. You know, you can miss out a few. You don't have to do it this way. And I was kind of, I could never really understand that not everybody learned in the same way and not everybody did things in the same way. So I just got frustrated. So then I did this rowing, quali- rowing coaching qualification. And then I was like, you know what? Actually, people have li- different learning styles and that's okay. But you've just got to figure out what that learning style is and then then develop it and work with it. And, you know, I've funnily enough, ended up becoming a great manager and a great leader. <laughs> you know, oh, through the experience. It's, it's exactly your learning that's so important. And I keep, yeah, I keep saying to my mum, I was like, yeah, fair enough. You know, I didn't end up with a degree, but if I hadn't have gone to university, that wouldn't have given me that type of learning. And I'm thankful for every experience, both good and bad. And I think I would, well, I would hope that a lot more people start realising that those experiences help shape you and that you don't need to wish that you did something differently or regret something because it just might just take you a little bit longer to get to where you're going. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, I was one of the somebody had a question on LinkedIn this morning what would you ask your what would you tell your younger self if you could and I think I, mine are two things one is believe in yourself um and the other because there's a whole heap of time wasted in not believing in yourself and the other would be that um it will work out in the end and and you know if we knew that at the beginning we wouldn't have to worry about it because it will absolutely will it's about tenacity it's about sticking at it and it's about following your passion if you find your passion i think you've unlocked the whole thing i think um ken robinson god bless that man i absolutely ken robinson think he's kind of a god up there with jack shenkoff um and he he talks about creativity and the importance of of finding your passion and and if you unlock your passion you've unlocked everything really yeah couldn't agree more it's wonderful so I want to talk a lot more like well a lot more about the um to what's got you to where you are today and also if any of our listeners because I know we do have listeners that have got this idea they've got this passion but they're not quite sure how to um how to get it off the ground how to get it started so what advice would you give to somebody else that's got the same passion that you've got Mm -hmm. And that wants to either turn their ideas into an app or into reality. Like, what advice would you give based on your own experience? <laughs> uh, put a little bit more time in the preparation than I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought I knew how to build an app because I'd obviously done this massive app before, but I'd done that with a massive team. Um, having the idea is not having the app. It's not having the outcome. Uh, the journey to the outcome for me has been huge and the learning that's happened on the way has been absolutely massive. Um, I think I would, I I think having, having a map in your mind and written down somewhere, planned out, get some paper and map out what you think this app looks like. If you, if you're going for an app, what you think it looks like, even down to if I press this button, what happens next and you have to be really really logical which is not my forte um so that i didn't do somebody else did and that's great it was really nice that my app developers did that and they were really good at doing it but what ended up happening was that i didn't get what i was hoping to get along the way 
every time. So we, it's a bit like building a house without a, without a blueprint of what you're going to do without an architect's drawing. You make, it make costly mistakes. So the more you can put in the planning, the better, I would say. Um, get a really strong relationship with your tech team. Um, I was really lucky with who I used that, you know, I've, I've, I know them and, um, they know me not really well, but you know, that we knew each other. Um, but, but investigate because, you know, everybody can produce all tech companies can produce a, an app. It's a little bit like finding an architect. Are they going to produce the, building that you want at the end of it and so it's worth doing that investigation and spending the time in the preparation and the other thing I would say is don't delay in starting building your audience because you don't have to have the product in your hand before you start talking and building the passion and that is quite a mind muddle and something I think people really struggle with and you know what's really sad I'm going to now tell you how I work that out Oh, before you do, I'm just going to say, like, for anybody listening to this and not watching the video, I'm like, ah, it's, you know, music to my ears. Because so many companies that I speak to and so many individuals that want to launch a new business or launch a new app or a new product or a new service, keep it really quiet and really, really hidden up to the point where it's ready to go to market. And I'm like, no, don't do that. You want to develop that audience. You want to, you know, sort of put out teaser campaigns. You want to let people know what you're doing, get them excited about it. So when you're ready to launch it and you're ready to give it out to the to the market to your ideal customers that they actually want it and they they lap it up. You don't want to end up with you know you're, you're really excited about your product launch. You put it out there and then there's crickets. You know that's not what you want. In fact, the best example I've ever seen of this was when Orange launched. I don't. You're probably too young, Charlie. No, I do. I do remember. I don't remember the exact launch, but yeah. I mean, mobile phones weren't a thing when I was a kid. No, older than I look. <laughs> <laughs> and what they had was these boxes that kept coming on the TV and it was just an orange box and it would just go away and then it would come back in, you know, and then after a month it might say the future's bright, the future's orange. And it was like, I remember asking people, what is orange? And yeah. then eventually we found out what it was. And every, it was kind of like a household name before it was anything very very clever marketing and I wish I'd done that and I didn't and therefore there was a whole lot of time when I had a product and no audience and it's just a waste of time and a lot of it is about that self-confidence that self-belief and if you if you're going for it go for it and the other thing I would say to people is to know that building an app you're building a business I hadn't connected that dot either Mm -hmm. I had an idea I didn't have a business so what was your what was your key learning in that in that process then? You know, if I was doing it again, start before you start, start an audience. Like before you do anything else, start talking about it and see what where it falls. Yeah. And get yourself out in that space. There's no one else going to steal your idea because you're not going to give your idea away, but what you're going to do is start talking about it and making noise and getting known in that space. That's a really key point, a really great point, and thank you for bringing it up, which is that you know nobody's going to steal your idea because if you think about how much work and energy and preparation that goes into developing an app, so many people don't have the right motivation to do that, even if they want to copy your idea, and they don't have your knowledge and skills, and they don't have the resources that you've put into it. So you know there's a lot of people that are really worried about their competition, and I'm a huge advocate for collaboration over competition because mm. more often than not, you're 
future competitors or you know assumed competitors can actually be your biggest advocates and your biggest uh, collaborative partners yeah and you you know i've heard um like james wedmore will often say um if you who i think i think fab if there's competition that means you're in a right space yeah because if there's no competition that's when you need to worry yeah you have to wonder why somebody's not yeah. done this before yeah. <laughs> yeah and 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 i think you know no one's doing exactly the same as you even if you are in the same space you're doing it differently and you are not going to suit everybody that you're just not you're going to suit some people some of the time so therefore get those people to follow you doing it your way and you've got your audience you don't need everybody you need some people who who are behind you and follow your dream so this leads us on to our next point which is what we've spoken about in the past which is all around um using partners um and agents to help you sell your product because your product is is b2c through through and through you are targeting the end user um but can you talk to us a little bit about your process of of working with other people and other organizations other businesses to help you get your product to market so the reason i did my app was to make impact and change and i can't i can't do that alone because there's just no way i can build the audience big enough to make the impact that i want to make and if you think there are a third of the children around the world won't reach their full potential we've got a whole heap of people out there that we could reach um, and like I said, I can't do it alone. So I want to do it in partnership with people. And that's why I have an affiliate program where we can, people who already have the audience and are already talking to the end customer can um, put a link to my app onto their website. And that means that people can buy the app through them. Um, they can be... it. it the benefit for, for the business user is that they are, um, it's an evidence-based app. So it is grounded in research and science and it's written by proper experts who know what they're talking about. So that means that their business gets a real um, solid foundation as well. And they can be talking about the, the, the science and the important stuff um, and telling their parents the the, the the news that the, the parent is so important so they're helping to really spread that news um while also um so they're making impact to the parent but they're also earning a little bit of bucks on the side um through the process so yes we we have an affiliate link that we can um share with people so that they can put it on their website so you're adding value to their business and giving them a kickback as well. So there's um, a lot of value in that. It's not just about the money. The money helps, but it's not just. It's all about adding value. And also the parent gets it for a cheaper price via the affiliate um, process as well. So everybody's kind of winning in the, in the in the process. Brilliant. And you're going to give me some links and some information about that. If anybody's listening and wants to find out more, then everything is on the show notes on my website. So that's charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. So... You, you talked a lot about the the journey and sort of like making a few mistakes and you know looking back wanting to do things differently so if you're going to give give some more advice to somebody that was going down the same journey you know what what would you uh, recommend that they do so they can kind of avoid hitting the same roadblocks that you did um i think i think having you know if you can get a team to work with you 
do because being able to talk to people is really important and i have had an amazing amazing support along the way i've also gone out to um, there's quite a lot of incubators and various things out there that really 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 help so i went to educate ucl's um, university college london educate and because research is in my blood and that's a, an ed tech accelerator which which has a focus on research so um, my product is absolutely grounded in research, but it's always also continuing to have research done on it by me, but also external um, researchers, because I think it's so important that my subject matter is grounded in, in the cutting edge of research, but also because what I've done is so cutting edge. There's kind of nothing else really around that does what I've done. Um, so the researchers are all quite interested in collaborative learning that way. Um, and the other, so, so go to an accelerator, go to, don't be frightened by the accelerator, because I think it's really easy to think, oh, what's an accelerator? I'm not good enough. I need to be better than I am before I can go. Go, because their job is, I, I actually started off at the local business hub. Um, and my first one was, how to be your own boss and i remember going into the room and it was a horseshoe of, of chairs with not a lot of space you kind of had to feed in and i ended up in the middle at the back and i realized that we were going to have to do a pitch and if i could have got out of that room i absolutely would have done because i felt so unsure about what i was doing and so underconfident I never even said the name of my business out loud before um, and there I was suddenly having to do a 90 minute pitch, a 90 second pitch. I was going to um, say 90 minute pitch. That's <laughs> that would be 20 seconds. Um, but by doing that and doing it again and again and again and again, it becomes much, much easier and it becomes second nature. You hone it, you know what you're doing. So that's what I would say. And the other thing I would say is get a mentor. Yeah. Brilliant advice, especially on the pitching, though, because I think a lot of people think, right, okay, I need to get the pitch right before I deliver it, and then that's going to be it. But in business, it doesn't matter what business you're in, you are always pitching every single day. Every time you talk about your business, you're essentially pitching. And, you know, it is all about like just refining that message, getting it right, looking at people's body languages, looking at people's eye contact and like how they respond to that, and just tweaking and changing as you go. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, just keep, keep practicing. The other thing I think I would say is go for um, awards and for lots of reasons, but, but go for local ones that, that aren't too stressy. So I went for uh, the Lord Lieutenant of Hertfordshire's Enterprise Challenge last year. And I had no idea what I was letting myself in for, to be honest. Um, and then discovered that it was... Um, a pitch at the palace style, though we probably aren't allowed to talk about that anymore. Um, but it was a three-minute pitch um, and three days of showing at the county show. So the experience I got through that uh, that process was massive. I had to write a proper three-minute pitch. I had to talk about what I wanted out of the process, um, what learning I was going to get. I had to talk to the public at the show. Um, I ended up coming second for the main prize and I got the People's Award, which was really lovely to come away with, which means that it can go on my email footers, it can go on my website, it can go, you know, it's it's all good stuff. But but beyond all of that, it's and the publicity that it brought, it built relationships 
it launched me into my community um, and it gave me a little bit of a confidence boost that maybe I hadn't had such a stupid idea and that maybe this was going to be okay um, because the demons in the head are, are shockers if you allow them. And we all have them, <laughs> you know, yeah. having your own business is quite a lonely place really, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that was another lovely thing. There were 10 of us. So we all built up a relationship over three days, stood in a tent, you know, in a field, as you do. But, yeah. So it is absolutely worth going for those awards, I think. Oh, brilliant advice. And also leads me into my next question, okay. which is, <laughs> um, what have been your most successful uh, routes to market? Because we all know that starting a business, especially with an app, you know, marketing budgets are quite hard to come by. So mm. what's uh, what's been your most successful route to market or marketing plan? Um the ones I've tried um, are baby shows and um, Facebook advertising, general marketing, marketing, as in social marketing. But my most successful is where I build relationships. And it's, it's building those relationships with other people and helping solve their problems. So finding other businesses who want that, that know about the first thousand days of life, but don't kind of know how to help their parents use that information um, has been the best way. That's such a key piece of learning there, isn't it? You know, find find other businesses that know and understand the problem that you're solving, but don't have the capability or the knowledge to solve that problem themselves. Mm. You know. Yeah. And the other thing about it is that you don't make sales behind your computer. Very true. (laughs) Have to get out. And whether that's virtually and I mean, I remember getting to a point where I, I, I realized that I wasn't going to make any sales behind my computer because, you know, I had tried <laughs> to sit there quietly and wait for the world to find me. Um, but the first time I phoned, I phoned three charities who work in this area and I had had it on my plan for the week and it was now Friday at 3.30. That's how scary it was. And in the end, it was like, well, you're not leaving a leaky HQ until you have phoned these people. So best you get on with it. Um, so I did. And, you know, not one of them laughed. In fact, Shocking, that, isn't it? <laughs> all three of them went, oh, that sounds really interesting. Now, actually, I didn't make any sales. It doesn't actually matter. I started. And that was that was the key from that experience. It made started, it a little bit less terrifying. Yeah. And the other thing about it was that I then just kept going because I couldn't allow myself to stop. And it's taken a long time. But what happened, because inevitably you've got summer holidays or you've got Christmas or you've got half term or you've got, there's all sorts of reasons why business can't happen. But by putting those dates in diaries, you start a ball rolling and you may not see those immediate results, but you will see those immediate, those results in time. And it's worth, it's absolutely worth building those relationships and getting out. And it's quite scary for a lot of people that, you know, mm. picking up the phone and talking about your business or finding out who you get to the right person. Mm. Um, a lot of people come to me and sort of saying, you know, I don't want to come across as too salesy or too spammy. And it's like, well, you know, what's, what happens if you don't, if you don't talk to people about it, you, you know, you're not helping anybody, you're not serving anybody. So what's the worst that could happen? They say no. Yes, and actually I heard you talking about um, your photocopiers. No, they were special copiers for the police. Uh, laser scanners, laser scanners. Laser scanners, that's right. And you were saying that it wasn't about pitching the laser scanner, it was about solving their problems. And 
when you started talking about that, you won, what, 23 of the 25 or something? I, I think it was 26 out of the 32. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a huge, yeah, I mean, that was a huge achievement because we were just yeah. a small company. You know, we were going up against a, a huge company with a massive budget and a, a very large sales team. But f- I think for us, the biggest success with that was understanding the language that our audience spoke because it was a different audience to what we were used to so when we first went into that opportunity we were talking to them in the language that we were used to speaking to our customers about and nobody got it and also that we were talking to a really hard audience that didn't want the technology we were selling but they had to have it so they didn't want it you know so we had to find out how to you know a make them interested in what it was that we were trying to show them and then try to show them the benefits to them both as an organization and also as an individual. So, you know, especially with B2B sales and marketing, it's not just about looking at the organization and thinking, right, okay, what are the benefits to that organization? It's also about profiling the people that you're selling to and then understanding how you can help them because their motivations are not always the same as the business, the organization's motivations. So, for me, I was like, oh, this is so interesting, you know, uh, especially from the psychology point of view. Um, But yeah, it was a very successful, uh, very stressful, (laughs) but also very exciting um, process because that technology really did help so many people. Um, And a lot of um, a lot of things you don't necessarily realize there were a lot of benefits to industry, to the individual that that nobody is aware of and nobody sees. So, yeah, um, and it's just about asking questions. The more questions you can ask, the better. Yeah, yeah, and and probably you turned your marketing on a nine pin. So you'd been doing one thing one day, and then you completely changed it the next day. And yet you didn't lose those customers. In fact, you gained those customers. Yeah. So the customers were there. They sort of were listening, but not. And then you got them. Yeah, I think that's a good example of really uh, jumping in at the deep end because we were doing something that we had never done before. We didn't understand. Um, And it was like every day was a learning day. And yes, you made mistakes, but you learned from them and you had to learn very quickly. And for me, that's one of the biggest benefits of working for a small company is that you can pivot really quickly. You can be very, very responsive. So you can be... um, Uh, very proactive and very reactive as well but then also have the flexibility to make decisions you don't have to then jump through hoops to get things approved and you know process uh, changed and things like that Uh, because I am not a lover of uh, of process if somebody tells me to do something in one way I'm like yeah there's a better way of doing that I'm sure let me go and try it out (laughs) (laughs) what just for the sake of it yeah (laughs) yeah I was that nightmare child at school that was just like why are we doing this again what benefit has this got in any shape or form I like the teachers like they're glaring at me going you're ruining my class why are you doing this Um, but yeah lots of fun cool so we're coming up to time now and it's been absolutely wonderful speaking to you there are so many uh, nuggets of advice and wisdom that are coming from this uh, this interview so uh, again if you are listening to this and you're like oh I'm driving or I'm on my way to somewhere the show notes are on my website so you can get a good summary there Um, are there any parting words of wisdom or any recommendations that you want to give to our listeners before we go be playful be playful in your life be playful with your friends with your people with your with your children be playful with yourself it's all very easy to be terribly serious but actually it's in playfulness that we find our most exciting moments 
love it and if anybody wants to find out more about um you or aliki where do they go what do they do um aliki.com is my website and i'm on facebook instagram and twitter though on twitter um i am unfortunately aliki underscore learning um but um other than that i'm at aliki everywhere else and aliki is one of those random words that i made up doesn't mean anything uh, except it means that you can get the dot com and it looks cute uh, in a logo um <laughs> But I discovered that it's actually a nightmare name because there's three I's in Aliki. So it's O-L-I-I-K-I. Um, and my Claire has no I. So it turns out to be a complete nightmare of a name. But Aliki.com is where you find me. Brilliant. And yes, all of the information is on the show notes. So thank you so much, Claire. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope our listeners enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Charlie, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Brilliant. Thank you. When marketing isn't your primary focus or area of expertise, it can quickly become very overwhelming, frustrating, and end up at the top of your I'm avoiding this list. If you'd like to make your life easier and get results from your marketing, then I invite you to come and join us in the Curious Marketing Club, a virtual community full of support, guidance, and know-how. For details about the club and for the show notes from this episode, please visit my website, charliewyman.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn from other people who are being curious and doing amazing things, then please subscribe and keep listening. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.